When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. Hello and welcome to Get the Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and one of the Dadley boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture Here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the Wednesday Night War between AEW and NXT, pay-per-views, we have interviews, more roundtable discussions like this one, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. But as I said, I'm joined by uh, Michael Sidgwick. And sir, we are socially distanced today. You suggested that, so I thought I'd do it. Uh, To talk about AEW and winter is coming. Set to take place a week on Wednesday, December 2nd. What a huge dynamite that's going to be. And basically talk about how they must book it. First of all, before we talk about how they should book it, how excited are you for that show that possibly, probably, is going to break a million for AEW? You'd hope so. You'd absolutely hope so. Um, my worry is that the way in which they've positioned Kenny Omega um, means that he's not quite on the level drawing power as he was before he entered AEW. This title run, I think, should accomplish that. But it would be a big disappointment if they don't crack the millie. I firmly expect Kevin Owens, who's commentating on NXT next week, they'll do some kind of angle where he'll get in a match on their December 2nd show just to try and siphon the odd viewer away because WWE don't want them to crack a million. It will be a disappointment for them if they don't crack a million. Surely, surely this one cracks a million. It'll be the first, well, I think it'll be like since the very first launch, it'll be the first um, one to crack a million opposed. I really, really hope it does. Jury is out for me. Jury is out for me. Uh, a vastly improved uh, number for AEW this week. I actually got it bang on, 8.50. So well done to me, to Masso Camper Backslap. Um, But yeah, the one thing we do know for the Winter is Coming Dynamite is, of course, as you alluded to, the uh, AEW World Championship match, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. Um, We've talked about this quite a lot, about how things are going to go, not just on December 2nd, but following that and heading towards Revolution. But for people who haven't heard it, how do you see this one going? It's Omega's time. It's Kenny Omega's time. John Moxley's been an absolutely tremendous world champion, the best world champion for years. Like, for years. I've not seen a baby face, an epic babyface run done so well, so simply, 
in which if you watch every promo he does before a match, right, he will then do it. He will fulfill the promise he delivers in his promos, almost to the exact finish. And yet, in the guts of the match, he's so great at orchestrating drama and support on his behalf that you'll never see it. You'll never see that finish coming. But he tells you what's coming. He told Eddie Kingston, protect your neck. He told Brian Cage, as Brian Cage that, you know what, I'm going to separate the, bi- uh, the bicep from my bone, but it's okay, you'll get to go to hospital and take the really good painkillers. So kind of doing you a favor in that sort of inimitably funny way that he has about him. He's a babyface you can believe in. He's a funny, charismatic, badass, enormously endearing, cool, aspirational. However, his time has come. His time has come. It's Kenny's time. They've all but telegraphed it. Um, I think it was the books, actually, who did a press interview ahead of Full Gear where they said their big year two projects are Darby Allen, Hangman Page, and Kenny Omega, who's ready to explode to be the old Kenny Omega. They've already strapped Darby Allen, so I firmly expect them to strap Kenny Omega. Is there any doubt for you? Not that it matters, I don't think, but is there any doubt for you? No, I think you're right. I think ever since the way you suggested it, because as I mentioned, the moment I found out they were doing this title match on an episode of Dynamite, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. At the end of the day, as much as AW are very good at sort of dragging out these feuds, Revolution is still a long way off, mid-February, February 20, whatever it is. Late February. Yeah. um, So, and the way you've laid it out of the fact that you don't have to do everything on this December. They probably won't do everything, if I'm perfectly honest, because, you know, as much as it's going to be the main event and all the attention is going to be on that, um, or, well, it might not be the main event. I'll talk about that in a second, actually. But it's still limited with TV time. You want to try and cram as much into this show as possible. So they're not going to go 30, 40 minutes. They're probably going to have a good 20, 25-minute match. But like you say, that that also allows room for for saving things for the two out of three falls that you've pitched for Revolution, which I think is just a genius idea. Um, to go alongside that then, uh, if we assume uh, Omega's going over, the other thing you, you spoke to me about in recent weeks is the fact that it, it might not actually main event the show. It could open the show because of someone else that we are, well, I'm offering to you as a potential uh, involvement in the winter is coming dynamite. And that being, of course, Shaq. And your, yeah. your, your expl- explanation of, why you wouldn't have, or why you would have Shaq on the show in particular, but then also the way you'd order this show is, is, is intriguing. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've changed my mind. Oh. <laughs> I've changed my mind in the interim. However, I will lay out my original scenario and I will tell you why it's changed and why I think it should change. My original scenario was two weeks ago, I believe it was now, or two dynamites ago. Yeah. We first heard that inexplicable utterance of Shaq, Shaq's coming. So I thought strategically the best way to um, accomplish Shaq's sort of goal in AEW, which is to draw casual eyeballs to that show. And then on the same show, do something seismic and awesome. That's going to make the more casual fans think, Christ, I'm going to stick with this. I would have had Moxley versus Omega open the show. You don't have the, um, commercial break in the opening match, mm-hmm. although you might hear considering how long it's going to be. So you're waiting for Shaq to have the one-on-one match with Cody or the mixed tag with Cody and Brandy, and he gets partnered by Jay Cargill because this appears to be the way it's going to go. So you open with Mox Omega. You know people are going to tune in because it's the Shaq show. And mm-hmm. then you 
instantly, if you're a casual or lapsed pro wrestling fan, you are instantly treated to the best wrestler in the world versus the best baby face in the world in what is just guaranteed to be this incredible match. And you're hopefully going to think, well, Jesus Christ, I don't just want Shark. I want to watch this next week. And one that doesn't require, as much as it's good to be invested in this, one doesn't require a great deal of investment. You go, here's John Moxley. You probably remember him as Dean Ambrose. He's a badass. And here's Kenny Omega. Look at his entrance. He's an arsehole. But he'll yeah, win yeah. you over by just being mint in the ring, basically. And he's a massive star. It's a caricature of a star entrance, but that still will resonate to the people who don't get the nuances of it. Of, oh, this guy's got all the bells and whistles. He must be a star. It's a very, very savvy TV-ready entrance that they've positioned and timed perfectly to coincide with a singles push. So that was my first idea. But then, in making notes for this podcast, I've come to the realization that it's probably a bit too early to sell a Shaq match. He hasn't laid down the challenge. It's all just been teased. It's been teased by the mere mention of his name. Cody did yet more subtle teasing with that um, Papa John's-inspired parody T-shirt. It would be a bit sudden... And I'm not saying it probably shouldn't happen because you're not going to get this great pro wrestling story out of Cody versus Shaq. <laughs> it's a grab. And it could, it could be a fun one, but I still think it's a bit too soon. And more to the point, like, do you give away Shaq and your world title match mm. on the same show? I don't think so. I think you run an angle. So I've swapped it around, Wilborn. Mox versus Omega does headline. They do give it time. So you don't just get the quarter hour entrances right. You get... 14 minutes or 11 in an angle, like you give the last two or three segments to this match, which is going to make everything else press for time. But I've tried to um, build the rest of the card, this fantasy booking card around that accordingly. I think you open the show instead with Darby Allen versus either, and I haven't settled on this because they're both great, Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks too. The idea is on this big December 2 show, you want to highlight the guys that you really want to push going forward and those who have really made a connection um, with the crowds. So Darby Allen has to perform on December 2. Um, him and Cage look like they work together brilliantly. The dynamic's awesome. This muscle monster who can go versus this unbelievably propulsive, reckless guy who will sell brilliantly for him. But then again, the Alan Stark's chemistry is just so tremendous, yeah. so hate-fueled. The work was so immersive and how like they struggled for every single hold. But the reason why I've picked this match in particular is because I'm starting to think, Wilborn, I don't think that Cody Rhodes is feuding with Jade Cargill and Team Taz at the same time, accidentally. I think if you dovetail those two feuds together, you minimize entirely the risk of Shaq being exposed in an embarrassing singles match with Cody because he doesn't seem like he's particularly suited for pro wrestling. He could play that menacing figure on the apron who comes in and does a couple of spots at the very end of a match. I think Allen versus Starks or Cage, the finish draws in Team Taz to beat on Allen. That draws out Cody because they've got a pre-existing relationship. I think if you advertise Shaq as appearing on Winter is Coming ahead of time, don't make it a surprise. Like you need the eyeballs on that. I think Shaq can make his presence felt. He can temporarily join Team Taz. 
he joins in the beatdown. Darby Allen comes out, he gets killed as well. Then the nightmare family of uh, the nightmare, the natural nightmares, Jesus Christ, I always get that wrong. Yeah. Um, Dustin and QT Marshall come out to even the score against Team Taz, including Shaq. Brandy comes out for Cargill, leading to at beach break, because what you want to do on a big show like this is to set up a major angle for a future show, because that, the whole point is you need a hook. It's not just, all right, okay, well, you've seen the conclusion of this well-built world title match. See you next week. I guess you always need a hook with episodic TV. So from Allen versus Starks of Cage, it's going to lead us through a big wild post-match angle in the opener to Team Taz, Shaq, and Cargill versus Darby Allen, Cody, Natural Nightmares, and Brandy Rhodes in a huge five-on-five banter match at Beach Break, which I believe is scheduled for January. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Well, I love that bit of booking, uh, and I can easily see something like that being set up, and I think that's the right way of ordering it. it, it we were talking before this, and you were, you were explaining how this shouldn't just be a showcase of AEW for new fans, but also their talent, and I suppose that that is a part of that, obviously, with, as you mentioned, not just it being about Moxie and Omega, but being like, look, we've got, your Darby Allens of this world. We've got your Orange Cassidy's of this world. We've got John Silver. We've got Jungle Boy, etc., etc. Indeed, there's going to be some very economical timing. There's going to be people who they'd ideally want to feature, but that roster is too too bloated. It's a big sort of concern for AEW at this point. They're very good at reheating people because for a while it felt like Team Taz were on the margins. And then within two weeks, Brian Cage looks like a monster again. So they're very good at doing it, but they have to be economical with their time here. You mentioned two names there, John Silver and Jungle Boy. John Silver can probably do a skit. 
Jungle Boy feels like he's completely off the map entirely. I really think that he's so young and he's got the potential to be so over as a baby face. And there's, he can survive however long this bastard lasts because he's that young and he's nowhere near his final form. I wouldn't put Jungle Boy in the show. What about, what about someone like Pac? I always realise he can speak by his absence when I was mentioning those sorts of names. Packing the Kingston feud will be red hot around then. It will, but they're not on my list. Okay. They're not on my list of matches here, I'm afraid. They're going to have to do something with Pac because he's a big, big player in the plans going forward. And I don't know whether it's a reflection on how, I don't want to say underwhelming his return has been, but I wasn't that grabbed mm. by the match. I wasn't that grabbed by his return in itself. And I don't have him on my list here, Will Vaughan. But he has to do something, so they'll find a time to do something. Maybe one of those awesome Beyond Gorilla. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, the, the video package we had teasing his return was, was wonderful when he was just stuck here in Newcastle. Um, the temptation here, of course, is, is to just profile people by hoying a load of title matches on there. You mentioned the world title. You mentioned the TNT champion. It's difficult because, obviously, next week we've got an AEW Women's World Championship match. Um, do you see that getting a bit of time? Obviously, the main, main complaints people have had with AEW is the lack of women's exposure. But that feels like it's improving now. We've got Anna Jay challenging Hikaru Shida next week. But you've also got something really exciting brewing with uh, Britt Baker and uh, Thunder Rosa, of course. Indeed. Um, my match that I would do... Hikaru Shida works so goddamn hard and she gets so disrespected by the booking and the amount of TV time allocated to her that I feel like they should pair her with the woman who has proven herself time and time again to draw consistent ratings. It's the best of a bad situation and they've arrived themselves at this bad situation. I'd have Shida go over Anna Jay. I think it's too early for Anna Jay to win the title. Um, enormous potential, but it's not yet realised. This is going to be tricky because Baker isn't in the top five, but they have, on several occasions at this point, built title matches via grudges and mm. no sort of ranking systems for a particular occasion. They've even done it on a pay-per-view in terms of um, Brody Lee versus uh, John Moxley. So I would do Sheeta versus Baker, and I wouldn't yet pull the trigger because you've got scope for Thunder Rosa to do exactly that, which... Baker did the Thunder Rosa in the deep match. Hikaru Shida deserves the platform. Um, Britt Baker is the one who can maintain those eyeballs on the show. She's proven herself the, the one constant female performer who either stabilizes or um, grows um, viewership when she appears on the show. So I think that's the best way to do it. And I would do a nice parallel symmetry angle with um, Thunder Rosa to then transition her into the NWA women's title picture. What they do with the AEW women's title picture after that, I've got no idea, but that's really an indictment of the way they book. Because with the, the tag teams and the TNT and the, world tag, and the world title picture, you're always thinking of like two or three challenges ahead. Mm. You're simply not allowed to do that with the women's title. But Sheena versus Baker, it's a, probably a bit too early to do it. Um, but it's, this is the numbers show. This yeah. is the numbers show. I have to say, uh, the, the Director X AEW uh, collaboration thing that we saw a, a snippet of on Dynamite and doing the rounds on social media, the Britt Baker thing on that, just that's a microcosm of her. Just like, I'm a dentist. Oh, I'm going to murder this guy in the dentist chair. Just, just great stuff in there. Uh, there's the small matter of the AEW Tag Team Champions to deal with. I assume we get some 
something involving the young books on your card because they're the young books. They're the young books. I love the young books. Their match with Top Flight drew really impressive numbers um, this week. They drew over a million with Butcher and the Blade. They are EVPs of the company. They're your tag team champions. This is the tag team wrestling company. They absolutely must appear on the show. And it's not really a um, hot take of a prediction, but I've got them up against TH2. They've built the match with Top Flight. They could go to the Top Flight match when they lose to the books because they're not going to win. They could do it before to have a win ahead of the books match to maybe go to the motions of shredding an outcome of uh, some doubt over the finish of the tag team title match. The reason why I do books versus TH2 on a show like this is that they are completely adept at just doing these exhilarating bangers. On a show where you want to constantly grow or stabilize that audience ahead of the main event, which is your biggest match on TV of the year, you're going to have to, you can't do methodical labored matches. You can't do TV storytelling matches or too many of them anyway. You have to do these big flashy attractions that are just going to continually grip that audience. And there are a few better ways of accomplishing that than with this high octane, aerial, exciting fireworks factory of a goddamn match between Bucks and TH2. To add, however, a storyline wrinkle to it, and I would only make it go eight or nine minutes. Usually, a World Tag Team title match would go about 12 to 14, but you need that time for Mox and Omega. Mm. I would have FTR commentate on it. Hmm. Unannounced, they just come on and say, oh, we haven't seen you for a while. And then they go, yeah, yeah, well, what we've been doing in the background is we've just been watching this, uh, this new tag team division sort of emerge now that we've relinquished those titles. And we're going to check it out and they're going to um, watch it. They're going to get increasingly pissed off at the ridiculous kind of work that TH2 and the books would work together. And they are going to come to the realization of how do we lose to these? <laughs> how do we lose to these? They're going to express this in the match. They are going to throw their headset down with the idea being that they cannot stand what they've done to this division by losing their grip on it. And that's one way to very, very slowly build that eventual rematch from full gear. Yeah, I completely agree. You need to do some sort of teasing with with FTR and uh, and the Young Bucks because even the most casual of wrestling fans would, will know what's going on with, with uh, these four men. Um, there's a lot to cram in on this show, as you've alluded to. Fascinating to know what else you've got on there. Like, you know, in terms of speculation, I've written down, like, is this the moment we see something around the whole Miro, Kip Sabian, Penelope Ford thing? Is this when you have Kip Sabian stag? Do what's going on with the inner circle? What else have you got? Uh, for uh, this uh, Winter is Coming Dynamite? So it's a five-match card. That's the best way of giving Mox Omega time. Um, Alan Starks went 10 minutes. I would have preferred to see it longer, but they did that in 10 minutes, and it was awesome. So that can go 10 minutes again. Bucks TH2 can go about 10 minutes. Sheeta versus Big, I shouldn't go too long. I think, as it pertains to Kip Sabian and Miro, it's about time they blow this off. It's long past time they blew this off. It's just getting really boring at this point. Um, it, and it's like so antithetical to the way they usually book where they build and build the intrigue of these matches and the payoffs and I just want it out of the way. Just want it out of the way at this point. But I've got a big blow off here. AEW is the buffet. It's the company that will allow expression. They will try and do new things. I think... 
they are going to do, or they should do, because I don't want to see a straight match between these two teams. A lot of the storyline, and this is honestly very weak for me, has been built around a broken arcade game that Miro and Kip Sabian hold dear to them. It's all very frivolous. Um, but you could argue that so was the idea of Santana and Ortiz beating up Sue's van. <laughs> and that had an amazing payoff. There is still scope to do something pretty good here. I would have Kip Sabian and Miro versus best friends in an arcade brawl. Don't hire an arcade just to completely break it up. That's probably going to be expensive. But you can hire the machines or you can gimmick the machines so they've only got screens like patterns to like convey whichever video game's getting played. Cut the actual machinery out of them. Put some board that wouldn't board that's not really going to hurt them. Do some kind of arcade brawl, heavily gimmicked, where Chucky T can work his awesome plunder magic, just destroying himself to get Miro over as his killer. Miro just throwing Chucky T into like a wall of these arcades that can all topple <laughs> over its various angles. Like they could work an awesome match in such a heightened, ridiculous environment because Chucky T is amazing at this. Trent is a lunatic. It'll give scope for Kip Sabian to show off his athleticism. And to be honest, I haven't really seen that much more of him, if I'm being perfectly honest as a personality. But he could be really fun in a match like this. Obviously, Miro could destroy people. And you kind of want to highlight Orange Cassidy. They've put a lot of investment in that project. I know a lot of people feel like he was way hotter and more interesting and funnier in March. And he's been somewhat overexposed. Um, over the summer months. Um, I get it to a degree. I still really enjoy watching him. But if you want to get the magic, that elusive magic of Orange Cassidy, doing Orange Cassidy things lurking in the background, my idea for the arcade brawl is that because he's Orange Cassidy, he's this sort of, meh, I'll try when I can be arsed kind of guy, this effortlessly brilliant guy. I would have him slumped over an arcade machine, one hand on one side of the head, aimlessly pressing buttons in that sloth-like lazy fashion and then for a tremendous sight gag the camera focuses on the screen he's playing and he's just ranking up high scores after high scores scores, because the idea is he's just brilliant at everything he just simply can't be asked so there's scope for them to do a violent fun match with these like sort of really cute sight gags and the cycling through the tonal range that they can do that ultimately for me is the best way of paying this off and at the same time, they haven't really maximized this at all, but Miro's got some residual appeal left from his WWE days, which will generate numbers. Um, so ultimately, you're going to get, oh, well, you've got this WWE star guy that you know and this crazy gimmick match that you've never seen before. That feels like a ratings grab, but they can do something that's yeah. domain to the storyline and a bit of fun at the same time. I really like that. I like the, the Orange Cassidy idea. You can have... Miro throwing barrels a la Donkey Kong at Trent and Chucky T or whatever. You yeah. can have him win the match by, I don't know, doing the, is it called the game over now? We can't call it the accolade, JR. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Game over. Do that on a, I don't know, a bloody Dance Dance Revolution mat just for the sake of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like that. Now, finally, I mentioned them a second ago, but it feels like you can't have a show like this without some sort of featuring of the inner circle. They've done a lot of skits and gimmicks. Um, how does that factor into to their involvement on this show, especially with, with MJF, of course? I love it with you, Wilborn. I've done my big notes. 
Boxing Mega Headlines, Buck versus TH2, all the story wrinkles here. Sheena versus Baker, all that big, amazing plan for the arcade brawl. I'll be pissed off if they don't do at this point. That great fantasy booking of the 10-man tag for Beach Break. <laughs> at the very bottom, the very bottom of my notes, Wilborn. Can you see what that says? Yeah, it just says in a circle with a question mark. I've got literally no idea. And honestly, people have complained about it. I've complained about it. It feels a bit frivolous. It feels like it's not consistent with the tone of AEW Dynamite. Um, it feels like this is barely tethered to pro wrestling at this point. Um, doing comedy skits and I love the dinner debonair, but too much of that. And it just feels like they're meant to be ultimately. They were they came into existence as a stable of badasses who Chris Jericho recruited to preserve his AEW title. And you could infer that they were happy to go along with Chris Jericho because they were in main events, they got TV time, they got, been, they got to be mentored by this world champion superstar figure in Chris Jericho. I know all the complaints, right? I get them. But one thing I'll say about a storyline that I've really, really enjoyed in part, I just think it's been inconsistent and a bit indulgent, is that I've got no idea where it's going. I've got some ideas. Wardlow and Jake Hager are going to have a match. And the fact that they are creating intrigue around a Jake Hager match is a masterstroke for me. I know that Sammy Guevara is probably going to turn face at some point. I know these things are going to happen. I don't know when. It's all very unpredictable. It's all very intriguing. It's all impossible to predict. All I know, Wilborn, is that they are not going to do anything in two weeks, surely. Well, what's going to happen here? I'm interested because I'm always, every time we preview these things, we are so flummoxed about the direction of when things are going to happen. And I think, considering that we know the eventual outcome to an extent, I think that's a fabulous way of booking it. Yeah, well, well, literally, I said myself I was going to stop fantasy booking after Ladina Demonair because there's no way you could predict, oh, yeah, that's what's going to happen this week. Um, I think, personally, um, you know, with this show, which you've got five matches on there. Um, some are obviously hyper serious. Some are, are slightly more lighthearted. I think in order to, to break it up, uh, akin to, to what we've kind of done with Pack, some sort of, you know, skit, promo, vignette, whatever you want to call it. I think you have to be very strict on making sure they don't indulge themselves too much. But I think you can allow them to indulge themselves to a certain extent, purely because A, uh, next week, you've already got a match, so you've kind of ticked that box off of people, so for people who were performatively saying, well, they've not wrestled for ages. Well, they have. They've wrestled the week prior to Winter is Coming. And B, yes, it's pissed a few people off, but we've got a plenty of time till Revolution. And I think Revolution is, may well be where they're heading first for something like MJF, Chris Jericho. I mean, if that's the direction you want to go in. So you've got, you got months to, to, to get that in the, in the works. Plus, what did they do this week on Dynamite? They did an homage to the hangover. It's called Winter is Coming. They're going to do some knockoff Red Wedding bollocks, probably. And I'd kind of be here for something like that. You know, I'd already pitched when we were talking about Winter is Coming before John Silver dressing as Daenerys. You could do something similar to that. You could then... You could have them talking about how Game of Thrones should have actually ended, considering it's called Bloody Winter is Coming, this show. I think you need to do something... Um, something a little bit stupid, a little bit funny, because you can't argue that when we've had stuff with like Chris Jericho doing the bubbly bunch or his promo from his bloody jacuzzi with the drones, etc., 
like that gets a lot of attention anyway. And with casual fans, people are like, what the bloody hell is Chris Jericho doing? Who's this MJF guy? Look at the size of those two blokes, Santana and Ortiz, Sammy Guevara. I think, yeah, you just say, look, guys, you got four or five minutes, Summit Game of Thrones related. And with the mind you've got around it, I think you can pull something really entertaining off. I think that's a, as good an idea as any. At the very least, you need to feature MJF on a microphone in some yes, capacity. Yes. Double or nothing. I've written about it extensively since it happened in a big takeaway, watching it in retrospect and talking about it in retrospect is how much range it had. Like Cody versus Dustin, this emotional bloodbath. You had that insane tag team match, um, all the Joshy women. But watching it live, I honestly think the thing I was most transfixed by was MGF on that microphone. Yes. Unbelievable. He was like, he stole that show. And he, honestly, we've talked about this before. He kind of stole the thunder away from Hangman Page and made him like, oh, well, it's not as funny as that guy. <laughs> it's kind of a shame that he lost. And you know I love Hangman Page, but that's how people felt about MJF at the time. So ideally, if you're getting casual fans or more fans than ever on this Dynamite, you need to have Hangman uh, MJF on a microphone in some capacity. I will close by saying that they need to do something with Hangman Page on yeah. this show. My idea, and this will build towards Page versus Omega 2, is that the main event, Omega's won, the books come out to congratulate him, Hangman Page finally decides, you know what? I've been through a lot with Kenny. I don't know where I stand with him, but I'm going to find out. He comes out to celebrate, and Kenny Omega, having reached the pinnacle by himself to cement that heel turn, has got absolutely no calls for him whatsoever and just knocks him out. And the closing shot, because I think they're going to build towards Page joining the Dark Order, is in symmetry with full gear, with Hangman Page lying on the floor, the elite celebrating in the distance. I think the books will be pissed off with this because they're going to be baby faces. So it's going to be this big scene in my mind. Page is on the floor. Kenny Omega's doing that face again that he did against Sonny Kiss. The books are looking at him as if to say, what the hell did he do that for? And in the top right corner of the frame, mirroring what Hangman Page did at full gear, you have Mr. Brody Lee, emerging at the entrance tunnel, ready to recruit Hangman Page as he lies there at his lowest ebb. All rights reserved. Snowpierce is our next on TNT. Come back next week for more Dynamite action. Fantastic. No pressure, AW. Do it like that. Or if you can, and I don't know if it's even possible, do it better. But let us know your thoughts on how AEW must book the huge Winter is Coming Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. And if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, the Sunday, join myself and Phil Chambers for our Survivor Series live stream later on. But uh, yeah. Love talking about this, Sige. And uh, we'll be back, of course, for previews and reviews of the Wednesday Night War next week. Just over a week to go until AW Dynamite Winter is coming. Really excited for that, especially the way you book this, Sige. Uh, right, my thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.